for one of the best deals in town, swing by Walters for brunch. For just $20, you can add bottomless Bloody Marys, mimosas, Trulies, and Bud Lights with a purchase of an entree. Sunday, the round of 16 in the Euros gets going. Make your reservation for a busy weekend at waltersdc.com slash reservation. When you do come to Walters, make sure to check out their spicy chicken. Cold beer, a great sandwich with fries, and a big screen TV is a tough combo to beat. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Swing and a fly ball to deep right. Soto going back, way back, running out of room. It is gone. Goodbye. John Birdie the other way toward the right field corner with an opposite field home run. His fourth of the year. And the Marlins have regained the lead 3-2. And welcome to Nats Chat for Sunday, June 27, 2021. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. Mark Zuckerman is off. So we hope that he's enjoying some time with his family and some time away from watching this Nationals offense, which all of a sudden is back to being offensive. What happened to the bust out? What happened to the offense being better? You know, the Nats during their stretch of 10 wins in 11 games scored at least five runs in each of six of the wins. You felt like, all right, the offense certainly isn't perfect, but it's coming around. It's performing better. Well, here we are now. Nats now have scored just two runs in each of the team's Last two games, an 11-2 loss at the Miami Marlins on Friday night and a 3-2 loss at the Marlins on Saturday as, yes, the Nats now are in danger of losing 3-4 of at the Lowly Marlins. Not good. Now, I get it. Miami does pitch well, and that needs to be taken into consideration. But given the offensive struggles of the Nats for so much of this season, you don't just write off these offensive struggles to the Marlins being a good pitching team. You also have to say, well, this is a bad offensive team in the Nats. That's back to being a bad offensive team, at least over these last few days. Thank goodness the ace, the stopper, Max Scherzer, is pitching on Sunday because losing three or four at Miami really would be nothing short of highly disappointing. Although starting for the Marlins on Sunday is a guy who also has been really good so far this season. More on that in a bit. But with this 3-2 Nats loss at the Marlins on Saturday, you get the Nats scoring just two runs, totaling just seven hits, working just three walks, striking out 13 times, and going one for nine with runners in scoring position. And this was another instance of the Nationals getting worked, getting dominated by a pitcher who essentially had no business working and dominating the Nationals. The Marlins starter on Saturday was Zach Thompson. He was making just his fourth major league start 
he ended up allowing two runs in six innings with 11 strikeouts. Now, if you're saying to yourself, well, who is Zach Thompson? Maybe he's some phenom who's been rising up the ranks of the Marlins system. Look, Zach Thompson has some talent. Maybe he ends up being a really good starting pitcher, but understand Zach Thompson was taken by the Chicago White Sox in the fifth round of the 2014 MLB draft, and yet he owned the Nats on Saturday. And the Nats, when it came to delivering with runners in scoring position, basically just could not produce at all. Again, one for nine with runners in scoring position and some killer missed opportunities over the final three innings. Nats in the top of the seventh failed to score despite a leadoff double by Josh Harrison. The Nats in the top of the eighth failed to score despite a one-out single by Josh Bell and a two-out walk by Starling Castro. The Nats in the top of the ninth failed to score despite a leadoff single by Josh Harrison. I mean, the Nats were in business in each of the final three innings to, you know, varying extents. The Nats had opportunities in this game, but ultimately just one hit with runners in scoring position, just two runs for the game. And, you know, going back to this thing of the Nats struggling against pitchers against whom the Nats have no business struggling, what happened on Saturday against Zach Thompson is just the latest instance of the Nats struggling against someone who had no business doing so well against the Nats. I mean, you just go back to some recent games. June 3rd, a 5-1 loss at the Atlanta Braves. The Nats in that game getting totally shut down by Tucker Davidson, who was taken by the Braves in the 19th round of the 2016 draft. Davidson was making just his third career major league start, tossed five and two-thirds scoreless innings with five strikeouts. You go back to last weekend, the Nats in their one nothing win over the New York Mets at Nationals Park on Friday night, June 11th. They, yes, won the game, but scored just the one run. The Mets starter for that game, Joey Lucchese, entered the game with an ERA of 518. He ended up tossing five into third scoreless innings with five strikeouts. The next day, game one of that doubleheader against the Mets, the Saturday afternoon game, the 5-1 Nats seven-inning loss. The Nats in that game scored just the one run. The Mets starter in that game, David Peterson, comes into the game with an ERA of 560. He ends up allowing one run in four and two-thirds innings with six strikeouts. This has happened way too often this season. It's one thing to struggle against the Jacob DeGroms and the Brandon Woodruffs. It's another thing to struggle against the Tucker Davidsons and the Joey Lucases and the David Petersons and now the Zach Thompsons. We are adding all kinds of names to this list of starting pitchers who have no business dominating the Nats the way these pitchers have so far this year. Nats offense has regressed over these last two games. There's no doubt about that. And, you know, I mentioned how the Nats did offensively in scoring at least five runs and six of the 10 wins during the stretch of 10 wins in 11 games. You also have this, remember, the last two games of that stretch, the Nats totaled 20 runs. I mean, it felt like, okay, this offense is starting to bust out. And then you get what we got here over these last two games. Among those who struggled for the Nationals offensively on Saturday was, yes, Kyle Schwarber. Unfortunately, he's not going to homer in every game for the rest of his career. And Kyle Schwarber, starting left fielder, number one batter, 0 for 4 with a walk and three strikeouts on Saturday. He had a one-out six-pitch walk in the top of the fifth, but he had a weak ground out with Josh Harrison on third, one out, and the Nats trailing 3-2 in the top of the seventh. Trey Turner, your starting shortstop and number two batter. Rough game for him. 0 for 4, did draw a walk, but he left three men on base. The walk, a one-out five-pitch walk, and the Nats one run first, so that was good to see. But Trey popped out to first baseman Jesus Aguilar in foul territory with Josh Harrison on third, two outs, Nats down 3-2 in that top of the seventh inning. That fail of the Nats not scoring in that top of the seventh, that was brutal. That had big inning written all over it. 
with Harrison getting on with the leadoff double. And then you had three big guns come up to the plate. Ryan Zimmerman is a pinch hitter. Kyle Schwarber, Trey Turner. That's went line out, ground out, pop out. Zimmerman, Schwarber, Turner, all failing to deliver with Josh Harrison in scoring position in that top of the seventh inning. Gerardo Parra, the baby shark. He was the Nats starting center fielder and number seven batter on Saturday. But no such baby shark magic on display, at least not on Saturday. 0 for 4 with two strikeouts. He left four men on base. Parra with a first pitch fly out to center field with runners on first and second and two outs in the top of the eighth inning. And I mentioned Ryan Zimmerman. Look, I don't want to trash Zimmerman. He overall has done a lot for the Nats so far this year. He was only utilized as a pinch hitter in this game on Saturday, but him lining out to right with Harrison on second and nobody out in that top of the seventh. It was the latest instance of Zimmerman not delivering. And, you know, Ryan Zimmerman really has cooled off here lately. Ryan Zimmerman's slugging percentage for the season has fallen by 97 points since the start of games on June 11th. His slugging percentage for the year has gone from 590 to 493 since the start of games on June 11th. This loss on Saturday was on June 26th. I mean, June 11th isn't that long ago. It's a little more than two weeks ago. And yet Zimmerman's slugging percentage, which had been sky high, right? All those home runs, well, the homers have dried up here lately. And Zim has not been doing much when he's been called upon. And again, that slugging percentage down 97 points since the start of games on June 11th. There were a few offensive bright spots for the Nats. Juan Soto did have an RBI double. And here's the pitch, swung on, line drive, left center field. That is going to, oh, it's missed by Sanchez. I don't know how it gets by him. Turner on his way to third. He makes the turn. He's heading home. A one-out first pitch, opposite field, Ribby double to left center field and the top of the first on a ball that got by Marlins left fielder, Jesus Sanchez. Uh, Soto did strike out a couple of times, but good to see him deliver there with the extra base hit and deliver in a spot that ended up scoring a run. Josh Harrison did get on base multiple times. A couple of hits for him, two for four with a double and a single. He was in that starting second baseman and number eight batter. Harrison with a leadoff double, top of the seventh, leadoff single in the top of the ninth. But that's failing to score Harrison in both of those innings. Starling Castro considers to hit actually pretty well, at least by Starling Castro standards. Number six batter for the Nats was Castro on Saturday, one for three with an RBI double and a great walk as well. So I want to talk about the RBI double for a moment. Here's Castro, and Castro lines one for a base hit in the left center field, up the alley. Marte, does he cut it off? We can't see him. Now the ball gets away. Gomes racing for third is going to try to score. Here's the relay throw home from Rojas. Gomes slides in safely. It was a one-out first pitch RBI double to left center field in the top of the fourth in an instance of very generous scoring by the official scorer. The Marlins center fielder, Starling Marte, and the Marlins left fielder, Jesus Sanchez, nearly collided. Marte ended up kicking the baseball. The play really should have been a hit and an error. Instead, Castro got hit for a double. So in the box score, the hit reads like something that was smashed off the wall. In reality, this was a little different than that. Marlins had some defensive issues in left center for whatever reason on Saturday, especially with Jesus Sanchez. But, you know, right there is one of those classic instances of because it's not obvious who is truly guilty of the error, nobody gets an error. I mean, I don't really get why the official scorer couldn't have just assigned the error to the center fielder, Marte. He was the guy who kicked the baseball, but whatever. Maybe the official scorer was like, well, maybe that's more on the left fielder, Sanchez, even though he never ended up touching the baseball. But how about this? Why not team errors for those instances in which it's not clear who is guilty of the error? Or what about half errors? In football, we have half sacks. Official scores assign half a sack 
to each of two guys when you have multiple guys responsible for the sack of a quarterback? How about half errors in baseball for a spot like what happened there with Starling Castro on Saturday? I mean, it just seems ridiculous to me that Castro got credit for a double on a play like that. But whatever the case, Castro does officially get a double in that spot. And Castro drew a terrific two-out, eight-pitch walk in the top of the eighth inning, despite having been down in the count at one point, 0-2. That was a really good piece of hitting there by Castro. And so for Starling Castro now, and I reference this on the previous installment of the Natchat podcast, he has been better here lately. Uh, Starling Castro now is 10 for his last 26 with five doubles, five singles, and two walks. Uh, that's a span of seven games right there. That's pretty good. I mean, all things considered. Again, he, you know, is Starling Castro. He's not hitting for like any homers. He still doesn't draw nearly enough walks, but he's got some doubles here lately. I mean, five of his last 10 hits are doubles. He's 10 for 26 with a couple of walks over the last seven games. So good to see that here with Starling Castro, who remember recently was dealing with a family issue that caused him to go on the restricted list for a few days. Uh, Jan Gomes had a couple of hits on Saturday. Actually got on base three times. That was nice to see. He had two singles and a hit by pitch. Two out single top of the first, one out hit by pitch. And then that's one run fourth and a one out first pitch single in the top of the sixth inning. And Josh Bell was back. So that in and of itself was a positive. Remember, he got scratched from starting game one of this series, the Thursday night game, uh, due to his right side bothering him. He on Friday underwent an MRI exam, which came back clean. And so Bell was the starting first baseman and cleanup batter for the Nats in this loss at the Marlins on Saturday, one for four with a single and a couple of strikeouts. All right, so we have all had that dream. Tie game, bottom of the ninth, bases loaded. Well, on FanDuel Sportsbook, you get more than just one shot to swing for the fences. That's because FanDuel is letting you place your first bet risk-free. You heard that right. New users get up to $1,000 back in side credit if your first bet doesn't win, and it only gets better from there. Once you have an account, you'll have access to same-game parlay insurance all season long. That's up to $25 back Inside credit each day if your same game parlay bet falls one leg short. This way you can combine multiple baseball bets for an even bigger win. There's a reason that FanDuel Sportsbook is America's number one sportsbook. The app is simple to use. It's got great odds on all different betting markets, unique fun bet types like same game parlay and always on promotions to let you get more action out of every game day. And when you win, FanDuel will pay you your winnings in as little as 24 hours. All you have to do is download the FanDuel Sportsbook app and sign up with promo code CHAT to get in on the action. That's FanDuel Sportsbook, promo code CHAT. And games on Sunday afternoon include the Major League Worst Arizona Diamondbacks at the San Diego Padres at 410, starting for the Padres, you Darvish, who has an ERA of 250 on the season. We shall ride the Padres. 21 plus and present Colorado, Iowa, Illinois, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, or West Virginia. First on my real money wager, only for risk-free bet. Refund issued as non-withdrawable site. Credit that expires in seven days. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanal.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 109 with it, Indiana. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 100-GAMBLER, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Virginia. Tennessee, 1-800-889-9789. Or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data 
and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Left-hander comes set. He kicks, he delivers, and a fastball is lined to right center field. That's going to be a base hit. Soto cuts it off of the gap and fires it in. Rounding third and coming home is Aguilar. Holding it first is Rojas, an RBI single. Four for ten of the series. Drives in his 21st run of the year, and the Marlins take the lead 2-1. to one. The Nats starting pitcher in their 3-2 loss at the Miami Marlins on Saturday was Patrick Corbin. As yes, we got another chapter in the story that is Patrick Corbin in the 2021 season. And if you are confused about how to feel about how Patrick Corbin did on Saturday, you're not alone. I think we're all confused. His final line ends up being three runs in six innings. On the one hand, he looked really bad in giving up a triple, a double, and two singles in a two-run Marlins first. Andy then allowed a leadoff homer in the bottom of the fifth. But on the other hand, he finished with six strikeouts versus no walks. He threw 55 of his 77 pitches for strikes, and he retired 16 of the final 17 Marlins batters he faced. He either looked awful or he looked outstanding on Saturday. He initially looked awful. Bottom of the first, Corbin gave up two runs as it was batting practice for the Marlins. Corbin gave up a leadoff triple to Jazz Chisholm Jr., an RBI ground out to Starling Marte, a one-out double to Jesus Aguilar, and a two-out first-pitch RBI single to Miguel Rojas. Corbin then gave up a two-out first-pitch single to Jesus Sanchez. Corbin's four-seam fastball got pounded in that two-run Marlins first inning. But Corbin then retired 10 consecutive Marlins batters. And Corbin has his third consecutive one, two, three inning. Patrick has retired 10 in a row. Fifth inning coming up. He did give up a leadoff homer to John Birdie in the bottom of the fifth on an opposite field shot 
to right field. Although, if you're familiar with the Marlins ballpark, that's kind of like the soft spot in the ballpark. The birdie homer only went 352 projected feet for StatCast. So it's not like that was a moonshot by Birdie. It was a homer. And Birdie, by the way, has killed the Nats in this series. But, you know, that wasn't some homer that makes you feel just awful about the way Corbin's going. And then Corbin was back to being dominant. He retired each of the final six Marlins batters he faced. So yeah, really bad start. But truthfully, the rest of the outing was actually quite good. Now, three runs in six innings is nothing to celebrate. And especially when you consider that the Marlins are not a very good hitting team, I'm not going to, you know, put this down as like some really good outing for Patrick Corbin, but it's something that could have been a lot worse. I mean, again, with as bad as things looked in that two-run Marlins first inning, this was trending toward being another, if not blow-up start for Patrick Corbin than an ugly start, you know, a really bad start. Four runs in three innings, five runs in five innings, that kind of a thing. It ended up not being that, you know, technically it's a quality start, which is a stat I hate. Three runs in six innings translates to a 450 ERA. There's nothing quality about that. But the outing could have been a lot worse. I do give Corbin a lot of credit for settling himself down and not allowing the outing to become a blow-up start. Now, it's all relative here, right? You know, you look at Corbin and he still should be in a much better place than where he's at right now. Patrick Corbin now has made 15 starts this season. He has an ERA of 533. Okay, that is nothing but extremely disappointing. A 5.33 ERA over 15 starts. I mean, that's basically half a season, right? A starting pitcher makes about 30 starts in a year, give or take. If he's healthy the whole year, a little more than 30 starts. 5.33 ERA is unacceptable for a guy who was in year three of a six-year, $140 million deal, and for a guy who is you know far from ancient. I mean, this is only Corbin's age, 31 season. One of the big picture issues for the Nats remains what has happened to Patrick Corbin. So good in his first season with the team in 2019, so bad in the abbreviated 2020 season, and for the most part, bad so far this year. Has been better lately. Corbin came into the game having been actually quite good over his previous two starts. It combined three runs in 14 and the third innings on 14 strikeouts. This to me was a mixed game, again, especially against a Marlins team that isn't a very good offensive team, but I did like that Corbin, as the game went on, was better. And uh, there were some things to like. I mean, six strikeouts versus no walks. You like throwing 55 to 77 pitches for strikes. You like, you know, Corbin has had outings this season in which he's had a hard time throwing strikes. That was not the case in this game on Saturday. And then from a bullpen standpoint, Davey Martinez ends up using two relievers in this game. I guess that's one of the nice things when you lose on the road, you only have to eat up eight innings in terms of your pitching staff. But two Nats relievers in this game combined for two scoreless innings. Austin both a scoreless bottom of the seventh. Despite getting into some trouble, he gave up a two-out double to John Birdie. There's that name again. Also issued a wild pitch and then issued a two-out seven-pitch walk of Garrett Cooper, despite him having been down in the count at one point, one-two. But again, ultimately a scoreless bottom of the seventh for both. And then Tanner Rainey tossed a perfect bottom of the eighth inning that included a four-pitch strikeout of Jesus Aguilar for the second out. The Nats needed this from the bullpen, given how leaky the pen had been over the first two games of this series. That 7-3 win at the Marlins on Thursday night. Two Nats relievers combining to allow three runs in two innings. The culprit, Justin Miller, who, as you may recall, gave up three runs in the bottom of the eighth, gave up that three-run homer to Jazz Chisholm Jr., despite him having been down in the count of 1.02. And then in the 11-2 loss at the Marlins on Friday night, four Nats relievers in that game combining to allow four runs, three earned 
in five and two-thirds innings. So good to see the bullpen put up nothing but zeros in this game on Saturday. I mean, even with Corbin struggling in the first inning, pitching wasn't the problem. Run prevention was not the problem. Offense was the problem for the Nationals again this season in this loss on Saturday at the Marlins. Game four at the Marlins, Sunday afternoon at 110. Very good pitching matchup. Max Scherzer versus Sandy Alcantara. Alcantara is another one of these Marlins starting pitchers who doesn't get a lot of press but who has been good so far this season. We saw one of these guys in the 11-2 loss on Friday night in Pablo Lopez. Alcantara this season has an ERA of 293 over 16 starts. He's been a real innings eater, and obviously he has been a run preventer. Scherzer, of course, is having a very good season, coming off what he did in that 3-2 Nats win at the Philadelphia Phillies on Tuesday night. Now, remember that game, that was Max's return from the 10-day injured list, which he'd been on with groin inflammation, only ended up missing one start. Remember, that was also the game in which we had all of the drama with Joe Girardi and Max being checked for the sticky stuff and everything like that. But in terms of the actual baseball played in that game, Max only lasted for five innings. He threw 106 pitches. Now, he was good in the game. One run in five innings, eight strikeouts, but he just threw a lot of pitches. 106 pitches over the five innings, uh, 70 strikes versus 36 balls. So you would like to see Max be more pitch efficient in this game uh, on Sunday afternoon. I tend to think he will be. I mean, Max only lasting for five innings is not something that we're used to. And he really has been good this year. I've said this and I really mean this. I think this is kind of an underappreciated reality of the national season that Max Scherzer is back to being Cy Young Max. And so when you talk about the Nats really needing this game on Sunday, I mean, to lose three or four at the Marlins would be really disappointing given how well the Nats had been doing. You know, they dug themselves in this hole this season have climbed out of it with this recent surge, but you drop three or four at the Marlins and it's like, you know, you've taken all these steps forward and then you end up taking multiple steps back with what goes down at Miami. So nobody better than Scherzer to try to stop the bleeding, try to stop the losing with him going for the Nats on Sunday. Scherzer on the season, 14 starts, an ERA of 219, a whip of 0.826. Just awesome. I mean, Cy Young caliber Max Scherzer we have seen so far this year. No reason to expect anything different. And uh, as long, I guess, as he can avoid a bad first inning, we saw a bad first inning for John Lester on Friday night, a bad first inning for Patrick Corbin on Saturday. We have at times seen Max get God in first innings. So if he could just avoid that, I I think this could very easily end up being, you know, one of these Max Scherzer games, seven innings, eight innings, two runs or less, you know, double digit strikeout total, that sort of a thing. In terms of the National League standings, the Nats now are five games behind the NL East leading New York Mets, but the Nats do remain alone in second place. It was a wild Saturday in the NL East. The Mets beat the Philadelphia Phillies 4-3 on Saturday. The game was tied at two entering the ninth inning. The Phillies scored a run in the top of the ninth off Edwin Diaz, but the Mets then scored two runs in the bottom of the ninth off Hector Neris, who now has six blown saves this season. This Phillies bullpen every season is a problem. And once again, this season, we're seeing the bullpen be a problem. And by the way, listen to how the Mets scored the two runs on Saturday. A fielding error by Reese Hoskins, two walks, a single, and a walk-off sack fly by Michael Conforto. Bottom of the ninth. Phillies three, Mets three, bases loaded, one out. Crowd standing. One and two to Conforto. Neris deals. Breaking ball line to center. Going back on it, Herrera. He makes the catch. Here comes McKinney. Here's the throw to the plate. Head first slide. He scores. And the Mets win the ball game. Put it in the books. I mean, you talk about nickel and diming a team to death. 
You talk about death by a thousand paper cuts. Two run bottom of the ninth for the Mets on an error. Two walks, a single, and a walk-off sack fly. Also on Saturday, the Atlanta Braves lost at the Cincinnati Reds 4-1. But the big news with the Braves, and this is a big one, Mike Soroka done for the season as he has again torn his right Achilles tendon. This is unreal. He initially tore the right Achilles tendon last August. The Braves have announced that he retore the right Achilles on Thursday while simply walking into the home clubhouse at Truist Park. I mean, how does that happen? And what's odd is we actually have heard of things like this happening. D'Angelo Hall, the uh, former Washington defensive back years ago, retore his Achilles supposedly while he was like walking to the door at his home to get a pizza or something like that. Like, so guys do do this, but man, that is a killer for the Atlanta Braves that Soroka now is out for the rest of this season. He had not yet pitched in the majors this season as he also had dealt with right shoulder inflammation that necessitated exploratory surgery back in May. Mike Soroka has made three regular season starts since the end of the 2019 season. He, in that 2019 season, was so good. ERA at 268 over 29 starts, but now he is out the rest of the season for the Braves. So look, bad news for Atlanta. That is good news for the Nationals and an underwhelming National League East continues to be underwhelming. Four of the five teams in the division have losing records. I mean, this division is there for the taking. The Mets are the lone team with a winning record. I think the Mets are a good team. They are far though from a great team. You know, this division is still waiting, begging for someone to rise up and grab it by the throat. And so from that perspective, the Nats are very much in it. I mean, they are in second place, 74 games into their season. And uh, for all of the Nationals' flaws, I mean, they still have the worst run differential in the division at minus 16. The Nats are right there. Got to get this win, though, on Sunday with Max Scherzer starting at the Marlins to avoid dropping three or four at Miami. Well, you can always email us your questions, either in written form or via voice memo. Our email address at the Nats Chat Podcast is natschatpodcast at gmail.com. Voice memos are very easy, as I'm sure many of you already know. You just simply record yourself speaking into your smartphone, and then you can email that file to us. We got the following from our guy, Tim. Let's take a listen to what Tim has to say. Hey, guys, this is Tim Newmark. I've been enjoying your show. Haven't missed one yet. My question to you is, why not get rid of John Lester and his 5.0 ERA and call up Cade Cavalli? What's the worst he can do? Have a 4.5 ERA? Would like your thoughts on that. All right, Tim, thank you for the question. My man, Tim, does not want to wait for the top prospect in the Nationals farm system, one of the top pitching prospects in all of baseball, Cade Cavalli. I hear you, Tim, and I will say what I have already said, and I very much believe it. I do think there's a really good chance we do see Cade Cavalli at the major league level at some point this season, probably sooner than a lot of people think, because inevitably, this is what always happens with these top prospects. They are called up sooner than people anticipate. I don't think we're there just yet. I mean, he just did get promoted to the double A level. He's only made two starts for the Harrisburg Senators. So from a perspective of Cade Cavalli's development, I mean, you don't want to retard that. You don't want to throw him off by saying, okay, now come up to the majors because John Lester's ERA all of a sudden has ballooned to 499. You want to develop this guy right, and you want it to be so that when he's called up to the majors, he stays at the majors. You want it to be that he can hit the ground running. And so I would rather say, okay, 
Let's see if Lester can be a little bit better moving forward. I think he can be. I mean, it's not like Lester's gotten ravaged throughout this season. The numbers aren't pretty. That is true. But his previous start prior to the one on uh, Friday night was actually quite good. And you'd like to think that Lester can pitch to the tune of maybe an ERA of four moving forward, which I think most people would accept. But yeah, man, I mean, the bigger picture here is I think Cade Cavalli's coming. He's on the charge. I would not be shocked at all if we see him in September, maybe even sooner, depending on how he does. But he has he has only made two starts for Double A Harrisburg. The overall numbers for Cavalli so far this season. So he's made a total of nine starts, seven starts for the High A Wilmington Blue Rocks, two starts for the Harrisburg Senators. Nine starts, total of fifty-two in the third innings, an ERA of two oh six. I mean, just outstanding. Eighty-eight strikeouts versus twenty walks. There is very little not to like with Cade Cavalli. He was taken by the Nationals with the 22nd overall pick in the 2020 draft out of the University of Oklahoma. It has been forever since the Nationals drafted, successfully developed, and then reaped the benefits of a starting pitcher at the major league level. Like the Nats drafted and I guess you could say developed Lucas Giolito, at least to some extent, but then traded him away. He ended up blossoming with the Chicago White Sox. But the Nats have not drafted, developed, and reaped the benefits of a starting pitcher in terms of a high-level starting pitcher Really, since Steven Strasburg. I mean, it's amazing when you say that out loud, but that is the truth. I mean, all these other guys, right? Like Max Scherzer was acquired via free agency. Patrick Corbin was acquired via free agency. Someone like, you know, Doug Fister was traded for. That kind of a thing. The Nats have got to get back to successfully drafting, developing, and reaping the benefits of starting pitchers. And hopefully, Cade Cavalli can be someone who initiates that. There are some others, you know, someone like a Jackson Rutledge, uh, but Cavalli's the guy right now. That's the number one guy in the system. And that's someone who, like we said, can be of benefit to the Nats at the major league level this season. I very much do believe that. He's got to keep doing well, though. He has done so well so far this year. Well, you tell us what you think. You can uh, email us, like I said, natschatpodcast at gmail.com, including if you would like to become a sponsor of the Nats Chat Podcast. Just contact the man behind all of this, Tim Shovers. You can always tweet us as well, at Nats underscore chat. I'm on Twitter, at Al Galdi. Mark Zuckerman is on Twitter, at Mark Zuckerman. Please, if you don't already subscribe to the podcast, consider subscribing to the podcast. And if you haven't already, give the podcast a five-star rating and just write like a one-sentence review doing those things. Helps out the podcast a lot. It's been a ton of fun doing the show. It's been a lot of fun interacting with so many of you guys. We've gotten some really good download numbers lately, which we appreciate so much. We want to continue to grow. The movement continues, and we want to keep it moving here, keep it growing here with you on the Nats Chat Podcast. You can get yourself a Nats Chat Podcast t-shirt by going to natschatpodcast.square.site. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 1067 The Fan. I'm Al Galdi. We'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast. And a 1-2 offering Paul takes, and that's a called third strike on the inside corner. Three strikeouts in the inning for Cavalli. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.